Today's uh, sermon passage comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 3. And if you're using your pew Bible, you can turn to page 864. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and others who provided for them out of their means. Thank you, Andrew. Let's pray again. Lord God, we thank you for this portion of your word. Lord, every word that is in scripture is important to us. Every word is God-breathed. Every word useful for um, correcting, for rebuke, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every deed. Lord, show us um, important truths from this passion of this portion of your word, Lord, we pray. And we pray this again in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is the eternal word of God made flesh. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, to direct our time together this morning as we make our way through this passage, let's consider the places of Christ the proclamation of Christ, and the people of Christ. Let's consider first the places of Christ. But, but before we do that, let's consider what maybe I'll call the preamble of our passage today. Luke begins this passage in verse 1 with the words, Soon afterwards. Soon after what? Well, of course, soon after the events that preceded that Luke records in Luke chapter 7. That includes the healing of the centurion's servant, where Jesus commanded, commended the faith of this Roman soldier, who said that he wasn't worthy to have Christ come into his house, but if Christ would just say the word, that would be enough. That would be sufficient, he knew, to heal his servant. Also in Luke 7, we have the raising of a widow's son. Christ had compassion upon this woman who had already sometime previous lost her husband to death. She's a widow, and now she's lost her only son. And when Jesus saw her, Luke says Christ had compassion on her. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your God is a compassionate God who looks upon you in your plight, and he has compassion. And not only does he feel compassion, but he acts out of that compassion. And he redeems in the way in which you need him to redeem. Christ Jesus touched the casket of this young man and said to the man in it, Young man, I say to you, arise. And with that word of command, the dead man arose. And Christ gave him back, Luke says in verse 14, to his mother. It was also in chapter 7 when John the Baptist, imprisoned by King Herod, had doubts about the Christ. 
You remember John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to Christ asking him, are you the one who is to come? Are you the one that we're to put our hopes onto? Or should we look for another? And to that question of John, Christ had compassion for him. And he did not think poorly of John, but instead he demonstrated that he was indeed the one who was worthy of John placing his hopes Upon that question, are you the one that we should be looking to do amazing things? To that question, Christ responded with a riot of healing, as one man has said. Healing a great many people of their diseases. Restoring the sight to the blind. Causing the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. Setting the captives free. And then after those things, Luke tells us about some things that happened when Christ was invited to a meal at the home of a man named Simon. And we'll, we'll revisit that a little bit later. So it was after all of these things that these events of chapter 8 take place. In Luke 1 of chapter 8, Luke tells us that Jesus was going through the cities and the villages. He, he was preaching in the cities. He was preaching in the towns. Preaching in large places, preaching also in small places. And in Galilee, where Jesus' ministry was established at this time, friends, there were a lot of small places. Small towns, small communities, places maybe not unlike Newport, that some, maybe many, would consider being insignificant places. Places hardly worth taking note of. But to Jesus, no town is an insignificant town. No place is an insignificant place. And no person is an insignificant person. So that's a bit about the places of Christ. Now let's consider the proclamation of Christ. Look at verse 2. What was the proclamation of Christ? What does Luke say there? He says that Jesus was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the fourth time in the Gospel of Luke where where Luke mentions the kingdom of God. Before he's done, he's going to record Christ teaching on some 32 occasions, more than all the other Gospel writers combined about this concept of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was preaching. That's what he was proclaiming. That's what he was teaching about, the kingdom of God. And what he was doing when he did that was proclaiming that God was on the move. That line from the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan was on the prowl. Christ was proclaiming that that God was fulfilling all of his covenant promises to his people. In 2 Samuel 7, God made an everlasting covenant with David. And in doing that, God told David that one of David's descendants would be placed upon the throne of an everlasting kingdom. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is that forever king of that forever kingdom. And that's what Christ is teaching about. That's what he's demonstrating with his miracles. That he's turning back the effects of the fall. And that the kingdom of God is breaking in more and more, little by little, in every person that he heals. 
And every time that he teaches, every time that he drives out a demon in someone's life, he is demonstrating that the kingdom of God is breaking in. And it is sending away all of those forces of evil. Again, turning back all of the effects of the fall. He is proclaiming and he's demonstrating that the kingly reign of God on earth is coming more and more and more. And to that kingdom, Christ is inviting people. He's inviting people to find the freedom and the joy that the redeemed people of God can experience when they welcome and when they submit to God's forever king, King Jesus. When they submit to him and when they invite him to rule over every area of their lives. And friends, he invites you to take your place in that kingdom as well. And to find a freedom like that. To find a healing like that. To find a deliverance like that. So we've looked briefly at the places of Christ. In cities and towns, large and small. Significant and insignificant. And we've looked at the proclamation of Christ. The good news of the kingdom of God. Now let's consider the people of Christ. Who was with Christ? according to Luke in this passage. What does Luke tell us? Look at verse 1. Who was with Christ? Well, the twelve were with Him. The twelve men from from among that larger number of disciples of men and women whom Christ called to fulfill a particular role, a particular office of that of apostle. Christ's specially ordained representative and spokesman. These Twelve were the twelve men whom Christ selected after a night of prayer that we read about in Luke chapter 4. These men were were selected by Christ to, if you will, engage in full-time ministry service and to whom he had entrusted the, the ministry of the good news of the kingdom of God after his ascension back to heaven following his resurrection and his ascension, his resurrection from the dead. These 12 men were with him, Luke says. Who else? Who else was with Jesus at this time, according to Luke? Verse 2, and also some women. Also some women were with him. And you know, that may not sound all that surprising to us, but in Christ's day, this actually would have been rather remarkable. It it wasn't uncommon in that day, in that era in Israel, for women to support itinerant ministries like that of Jesus. But it was very uncommon for women to travel with a teacher, for women to, to be in that deep of a relationship with a teacher, with a rabbi. For, for women to be accepted into an inner circle, as it were, of Jesus like these women, that would have actually been quite uncommon in that day. Because sadly, in this time, women were often not highly esteemed in that society. Women were often discounted, treated not much better than property in some cases. Think of the instance, on, um, think of the occasion, for instance, in, in John chapter 4, 
when Jesus and his disciples traveled into Samaria. There was a time, we're told, in John 4, they, the disciples and Jesus traveled into a community. The disciples left them. There was a time when Jesus was there by himself. And do you remember what Jesus did on that occasion? He entered into conversation with a woman at a well. And in John 4.27, John tells us that, that when the disciples came back, they were surprised to see Jesus speaking with this woman. Now, were they surprised that Jesus, being a Jew, was talking to a Samaritan? This, this people group, Samaritans, largely hated by the Jews. Is, is that what the, the, the disciples were surprised at? No. Were they surprised that Jesus was talking to this woman because she was thought to be an immoral woman? A woman with five husbands with a man whom she was now living with who really wasn't even her husband? Is that what the disciples were surprised at? That Jesus would be talking to a woman like that? No, that wasn't it. But what then was it that caused the disciples to marvel at when they returned to find Jesus speaking with her? Well, John 4.27 tells us that the disciples came back and they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman. You see, that in and of itself wasn't even often done in that day for a man to have conversation with a woman whom he did not know. It's as if in, in that society, in that day, men often felt that to engage a woman in conversation would be a complete waste of time. And in that occasion in Samaria, the disciples couldn't understand how speaking with a woman could be anything but a distraction from the work of the kingdom of God. That's how little women were thought of in Jesus' day. But is that how Jesus sees women? Is that how Jesus thinks of women? No, it is not. And instead of excluding women... Jesus delights to receive women into his company. And that's what we see here. We see these women being in relationship with Jesus, along with the apostles, creating this close-knit band of men and women, together with Jesus, each taking their important place in the vital work of the expansion of the kingdom of God. Of course, it wasn't only the Samaritan woman at the well to whom Christ would show dignity. It was beyond that. We think of the the woman who was caught in adultery. On that occasion, the scribes and the Pharisees, do you notice they weren't too concerned, it seemed, with the man with whom this woman engaged in adultery. But to the woman, to the woman they wanted to see her be stoned. But what did Christ do? How did Christ respond to this woman caught in this act? Did did Christ join with them in the custom of the day at stoning this woman? 
No, of course he didn't. But what did Christ do? He respected her. He extended dignity to her. He defended her. And instead of joining in with those who condemned her, he confronted those who would condemn her by saying, let him who is without sin among you throw the first stone. And then each one, one by one, each of those men who were so eager to stone her to death, dropped that stone and walked off. And then what would Christ say to this woman? He asked, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And think about that passage that we looked at last week from the end of Luke 7. I'll invite you to turn to that again in your Bibles if you would, if you, if you closed your Bible. Jesus is invited into the home of Simon the Pharisee. Let's remind ourselves of this event that occurred there. From Luke 7 verses 36 through 50. Luke tells us one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus said, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon said, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little and he said to her your sins are forgiven then those who were at the table began to say among themselves who is this who even forgives sins and he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace jesus respects and defends the dignity of this woman does he see her in the same way in which Simon saw her? How, how was it that Simon saw her? He could only see a sinner. But how does Christ see her? 
Christ sees her as, as one who's been created in the image of God. Christ sees her as one who's worthy of him coming to give his life in exchange for hers. Christ sees her now as, as one who's been made clean through the forgiveness of sins, through faith in him. Christ welcomes people like this, men and women, boys and girls, into his presence. Christ delights to be in the presence, yes, even of women. Returning to our passage in Luke 8 and verse 3, Luke tells us that in addition to the three who were named, many other women were there with Jesus, traveling with him. As I've heard one man make reference to it, it was from this seedbed of the church, the outcast of those thought little of by society, out of that seedbed of the church would grow a kingdom that covers the earth as the water covers the sea. And what was it that these women were doing? Well, look at the end of verse 3. They were providing for them out of their means. They were providing for Christ. They were providing for the disciples. They were caring for the people of God. They were giving of their time and their talents and their treasure in devotion to Christ for the work of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And ladies, and and really for all of us, that's your and our calling and privilege still today. That we share of what we have to care for the people of God. That we show our devotion of Christ by showing devotion to others. It's that thing that we see present in the days of the early church from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done by the, by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's what the people of the early church did. And we understand that that's very much what these women were doing. These women who were traveling with Jesus. And who were these women? They were women, Luke says in verse 2, who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. That included Mary Magdalene. Luke says that seven demons had gone out of her. Seven is the number of fullness. And it's reasonable for understand in her being possessed by seven demons that she was under an utter and complete control of these seven demons, living a life of abject horror. And then she met Jesus. And then when someone meets Jesus, their life will never be the same again. 
and neither was hers. From the day that she first met Jesus, from that day when he first freed her from those seven demons, from that day onward, Mary would spend the rest of her life worshiping and serving and being devoted to this Jesus, this one whom freed her. There was also Joanna. Luke tells us that Joanna, the the wife of Husa, Herod's household manager, was with them also. Joanna would have been an influential, most likely rather wealthy person because of her husband's position. Her husband's boss, Herod Antipas, was opposed to Jesus, fearing that Christ would destroy Herod's kingdom. But Joanna used her wealth to support the work of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Both Mary Magdalene and Joanna were were also among the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. Both Joanna and Mary Magdalene were among that small group of women who went to the tomb that faithful morning three days after the death of Jesus. Joanna and Mary Magdalene and some others went to the tomb to anoint the body of the one whom they loved so. But instead of showing their devotion to Christ by anointing his dead body with spices, these women were instead given the remarkable honor and privilege of being the very first to see Jesus alive. And then they ran and told the other disciples. And do you know that even that is yet another example of the dignity that Christ bestows upon women? In first century Israel, the testimony of a woman was given no credence in a court of law. Women weren't allowed to be witnesses. But Christ grants to them the privilege of being the first to witness and to give testimony of his resurrection. Also among the women who were traveling with and ministering to Jesus was a woman named Susanna. Now this is the only place in scripture where her name appears. We know nothing else about her. And because of that, she may seem insignificant. Insignificant to us because she's only mentioned this one time. But evidently she wasn't insignificant to Luke. Most likely not insignificant to those who knew her, who came after her for her to be included specifically among the many women who were said to be with Jesus. And certainly she wasn't insignificant to him because Jesus gave his life to redeem her as well. These women were all precious enough for Christ to redeem them. That's how valuable they and you all were and are to Christ. And the women that these, the reason that these women are serving with such great devotion to Christ is this. And don't miss it. Because it's, it's the same reason that we should be devoted to him as well. The reason that these women are so devoted to Christ is because they become recipients of his grace. They become recipients of his redeeming work. They've been healed of evil spirits, healed of infirmities. They, they, they had been held captive 
each one to illness or to demonic spirits. But Christ delivered them from that. And because Jesus had won their freedom, they then wanted to stay near to him, this one who freed him. They wanted to be with him always, to walk with him always, because at Jesus' side is where freedom is found. Freedom is found in a life spent with Jesus. Do you know that freedom? If so, then observe this proper response of faith that we see of these women as they walk with Jesus and as they serve him and as they serve his people, offering their time and their talents and their treasures. Friends, you and I are called to respond in a similar way to how we see these women respond to the grace that has been bestowed upon them by Jesus. Friends, devote yourselves to this one who is fully devoted to you. And if you ever doubt that devotion of Christ, all you need do is to look upon this table which is set before you today where we see a, a demonstration of his devotion to you in giving his body and his blood for your sake. As we celebrate these women who served the Lord, as we celebrate their love for and their devotion to the Lord, and as we remember the Lord's devotion and service to us, because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Pray with me again, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love, your compassion, your redeeming work. We thank you, Lord, that you love little places and you love little pieces. That gives us hope that you love us as well. Not many who are wise, not many who are strong are among those whom you call. But you delight to use the little things, the despised things, the weak things of the world. um, To shut the mouths of the powerful, the mighty, the rich, and the wise. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the God who frees us. Lord, continue to deliver us from all that we need for you to deliver us of. We see how you did that for these women. Lord, do it for us, we pray. And Lord, forgive me. Forgive the church, forgive any officer of the church, any representative of the church who might ever make a woman or a girl feel less than. Lord, ours is a church that upholds what we understand Scripture teaches about um, the offices of the church being reserved for men. We see that even 
here in the reality that you called only men to be your apostles while you delighted to have women um, take their place um, among all in um, the church, all among your people. Lord, that is your, your system that you have established, male headship. Forgive us, Lord. It is a beautiful thing when men lead in the way in which you have called us to lead. Forgive us for all those times that we make it seem to be an ugly thing, an unattractive thing. Forgive us for any occasions when we may may make a woman feel to be devalued by excluding her in any way. But Lord, may we be like you. May we be a respecter of women, a respecter of all. May we remember that the kingdom of God is reserved for those who come in meekness like little children. Lord, I thank you for your love for these women. I thank you for your love for all of your redeemed. Lord, may we all redeem highly one another, man, woman, boy, and girl, remembering that you came to save them. You came to save us all. We all are equal at the foot of the cross all in equal need of your redeeming work, all bearing an equal guilt before you because of our sin. But Lord, we thank you that you welcome all, any sinner who would repent and see their need of your redeeming work. You invite us to come and to receive that work that leads to eternal life. Lord, um, enable us to live as you call us to live. Give us uh, your Holy Spirit to enable us to live rightly. Strengthen our faith, Lord, even by this meal which you prepare for us today. May we receive it in faith, recognizing our need for you. Lord, take these common elements of bread and juice and wine and set them apart for your holy purposes, we pray. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.